Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. So I'm going to start this by welcoming the listeners to the Boiling Point, because usually we, we welcome each other. I noticed that last interview. That's right. And I thought, that's a good point. Why do we welcome each other? And I wonder if people people figured out yet that we actually don't come every week, that we actually do back-to-back-to-back. No, back no, to back. no idea. Okay. No idea, because we've, <laughs> we've never talked about that at all. Well, Dave, it's good to see you again. Good to see uh, you, And it was, it was nice to have Jesse uh, uh, literally sitting in here for the last four weeks uh, observing us uh, do our thing. It was kind of neat to get that third-party perspective. Absolutely. And uh, today, um, before I say anything, you know, so rarely do you or I actually read the bio of our guests. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's because we're lazy or I, or we don't know how to read or something, but today I want, before we even bring our guests on, I, w- I want to read the, the, the bio. It's it quite, quite uh, nicely written. Okay, here we go. Kevin Gilbert is an award-winning digital storyteller and strategist, recognized by the Webby Awards, which are awesome, Applied Arts Awards, and also something called the Canadian Chamber of Contemporary Poetry, which was totally not a scam poetry contest that he entered when he was eight years old. That's awesome. That's Isn't that a good bio? That's a good story. That's, that's there's part there's of the a story <laughs> in that. I love that. So, Kevin, uh, welcome to The Boiling Point. Pleasure to have you on, my friend. Why don't you continue that bio that I started for you? Oh, I have to. Thank you. Um, thanks for having me on, guys. Um, specifically, that poetry contest. Um, yeah, there was a, a posting that had been up at the library, and my mom pointed it out to me and said, you should enter this. So I wrote an anthology of 35 original poems and sent it off to this contest. <laughs> uh, I think one was called Simba of the White Mane. But the one that won that actually got published was called Never Thank a Thank. Um, can, I could recite it for you guys if you want. Please, 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 yeah. please, please, please. Do it. Okay, my gosh. Okay. Dragging up the dregs of the past here. Um, Never Thank a Thank. That's spelled T-H-E-N-K. Because if you do... A thank will think about the things he thunk. And if a thank thinks his thunks, he'll do the things the thank has thunk. And a thank thinks terrible things. Oh, my this is gosh. You were eight years old when he did That's this? That's amazing. I, you know, yes. I, I, thank you very we need, much. We need I to have, make that an animation. You know what? That should be an animation. You guys should totally do that. You could make a make a killing. You could be the next Dr. Seuss. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. That's what it reminded me of, Dr. Seuss. Exactly. That was, that was awesome, that's, Kevin. So, so I, I think that paints a really good starting picture of a little bit of a who Kevin is. Okay, go on, Kevin. This is great. Um, well, I don't know if there's much more to the poem, but um, <laughs> I started writing more after that and started designing more and uh, yeah, got involved in uh, working with a nonprofit after graduating with a communications degree. been working at an agency the past five years. And uh, through that, I've been learning a lot about collaboration and, and empathy. Um, so, yeah, that's a tiny quick flyover of, of where the poem took me, I guess. Yeah. And, and, and um, right after you uh, explained to us a little bit more about what you do in the agency world, I really want to dig deep into empathy because uh, for me, everything that I've done with building my business as, as a film production, film storytelling company, uh, is based on building stronger empathetic connections. And empathy is a is a very powerful world, a word in my world. So I'm very excited to hear how you integrate uh, empathy into the digital uh, landscape. 
But let's just back up again and just talk about the the agency you're working in right now, and then maybe you could bridge it over to the world of empathy. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I work for a company called Domain7, and um, it's funny when you're separating the two topics of let's talk empathy, now let's talk agency. I don't really see them as being separate. It's, it's really, it's practical empathy. It's applied empathy every day. Um, Domain7, so it means perfect place, and it's sort of our vision of a world made better through what we do. Um, the idea that this, this vision that we're all pursuing as, as an improved humanity happens in how we make things together. Um, one of our taglines is changes in the making. Like we believe that the process of making things collaboratively together is how change comes about. Um, so in, in doing the work we do with our clients, even if it is digital work, it's, it is in pursuit of this, this vision of, of empathy changing the world. Yeah, that's... Well, and, and it, I think it ties into some of the work, and I, I really like what, you know, and again, we're just kind of going through the bio here and, and, and a little background with Domain 7. Um, but this idea, like, tell us a little bit about, and, and I think this is important for people to, to consider, right? And it's the idea that, that people want to be heard, um, and, this, you know, mm-hmm. the calling of our air, as you put it, uh, to stop persuading and start mm-hmm. listening. And, you know, um, so I, I, I'm, a, I'm a, a business coach, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, there's huge listening is a foundation of coaching. Um, and it sometimes takes you a while to figure out that, you know, uh, people want to be listened to, heard and understood. Um, but tell, tell us a little bit about it in, in your space and how that, how that, uh, plays out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when I first started at Domain 7, I was working as a project manager and that's a, that's a unique role that requires juggling a lot of tensions from the team and from the client expectations and then from project management, I shifted into a lead strategy role. And through both of those positions, started feeling that sense of you know, expectations as you're trying to figure out what people need and communicate in the gap. And uh, when it was my job or my turn to be leading a meeting, trying to do a pitch or explain a particular solution or a pathway, after every time, I would feel a sort of sense of disappointment or confusion, just wondering why it didn't go as cleanly or as well as it could have. And I really focused, I think wrongly now, on improving my persuasive abilities. I'd read books about it. I'd, I'd practice and polish my pitches so that they were more persuasive. And I started writing all these thoughts down for what I thought the path to persuasion looked like. And I wrote even a draft of a book that was covering... Uh, you know, topics of persuasion. And as I, as I circulated that among friends and tried to get some perspective on it, I realized that it was, it was off track, is that the idea that I have the right answer and you don't, and it's my job to move you into the right way of seeing things, is completely missing the reality that other people have perspectives to contribute to and that we can make better things when we're actually collaborating on it together. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that is such a true... Uh, philosophy in so many different aspects of, of life and business as well. Like it, whether it's a sales conversation or uh, in my world as, uh, as, as a filmmaker, you know, uh, as a filmmaker, people often call me a storyteller. Well, I'm not. Mm-hmm. I am a story sharer, a story amplifier, listening to other people's stories and helping them amplify that story to get it out to mm-hmm. a different type of audience. I, actually, <clears throat> I never, that's interesting. I never heard you describe it like that. That's really because you're right. Cause, well, that's right. When you say you're a storyteller, teller, you're, you're telling. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I've challenged myself with that yeah. multiple times. Oh, that's beautiful. And the, and you as an executive coach, 
uh, you're in the business of listening, and I know it because I've been on the receiving end of your coach experience. Um, so yeah, I, I love that theme, and I, I and the whole aspect, the whole definition of, of empathy is really trying to put yourself in someone else's experience and understand mm-hmm. and, and being able to feel. But how do you do that if you're not listening? And any any yeah. thoughts on that, uh, Kevin? I mean, if you're if you're not listening, you you won't get there. Um, it's it's interesting. I, I uh, came across uh, something that was published a while ago that um, Abraham Maslow, of course, has his hierarchy of needs, and most people are familiar with it ending with self-actualization. Um, but actually, before his death, but after his major study had been published, he revised it, and he put a different thing on top. After self-actualization, he added self-transcendence. And I think what Maslow was after there was a bit of a, a spiritual transcendence. But mm-hmm. the way I see it is, you know, you get your basic needs met, you figure out who you are. And after that, get over yourself and begin seeing what's around you that actually needs needs to be met, that you can help with. Wow. And it's, it's funny. You're right. I, whenever I look at uh, Maslow's triangle, I'm, we don't see the transcendent point at the top. That's, no, that's it's really... it's really interesting. I'm, I think that the his peers seems to be a little bit embarrassed by either his backtracking or his use of a pseudo spiritual term. So they didn't really give him much credence. But that's that's how his mind shifted. And I think unfortunately we've been using this like version version zero point one of Maslow's hierarchy of needs to guide our, our Western pursuit instead of opening our eyes and realizing that the whole point of our trajectory is to listen more to those around us instead of just seeking our own fulfillment. And that's where we find this sort of mysterious thing happens of us getting what we want anyway when we choose to involve and listen to other people. Right. Yeah. No. And that and that's the irony, right? And uh, but what do you think that like where does this idea of or this feeling that we need to be persuasive and persuading and 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 that the knowledge, we we need to be wise and and it has to come from us? Like where where do you think that comes from? I think a lot of it has to do with either fear or us not being in touch with our own actual needs. Um, this year I became aware of Marshall Rosenberg, which took me long enough. Um, he is the person responsible for the theory of nonviolent communication and nonviolent as in, you know, nonviolent resistance uh, as in like a peacemaking movement like MLK or Gandhi. Mm-hmm. Um, and what he talks about in nonviolent communication is this process of moving away from expressing or acting out of your your anger or your or your fear, and instead being able to state clearly what your needs actually are. And I think a lot of the time we basically use our workplace projects as as catharsis or the slow workaround um, for actually addressing our real needs. So we have a sense that we need to be in charge or persuasive or polished so that other people will like us or respect us instead of just being able to say upfront to somebody. I'm looking for your respect. And so we, we conduct these charades trying to win respect instead of being able to speak all, openly about what we're seeking. And thus all our project work gets dragged into the muck of trying to satisfy these unstated interpersonal needs, or we could just go the quick way if we were more in touch with what we needed. Now, that's really interesting. And, you know, I've actually thought about this often. Um, when you give somebody respect, you can give them the respect of being uh, a fellow human being, right? And uh, no. give them the respect of listening to their ideas, give them the respect of conversation and, uh, and just uh, honoring their existence. But then there's a, a different type of respect that seems to elevate status. Um, for example, if you're in sports, the person who is... Uh, see, look at this, Dave. I'm using a sports analogy. Um, this, this is rare. <laughs> 
I, I usually use Grateful Dead analogies. If 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 you're the the best player on the team, you're gonna have a different type level of respect from from others. But there's a drive for people to get to that position. So and it's, it's almost it feels almost universal that people want to have that respect of being the best or being known for for their accomplishments. When really, uh, when we actually look at it, it's quite the opposite of what what we really need. So I'm I'm just wondering. Uh, you know, just as a response to what you just what you just said, if, if people just say, "I want your respect," is that good enough for this addiction for status that we have in today's in today's world? It's it's super hard. I mean, a lot of us are oriented on a pathway to to win or to or to play that competitive game of of seeking that kind of status. Um, but what what happens? I wonder when when we achieve that. Like, if I end up being the best. Uh, what does that do to the people who aren't the best? Do they become less of a person? And am I am I really the best, or have I just temporarily taken over the spotlight? Is there a way that I can see my identity as not being attached to having to win that status? And besides, so much of the time, like you might have a superstar player, but a lot of the work is still being done in the margins. And you might not have as flashy a, a, as a playing style, uh, to use your sports analogy, but you're still holding up, you know, half the team by by the hustle you're bringing. And I think that in our world, especially, a lot of the people who are taking the stage or taking the limelight that can seem like the heroes, heroes, are actually distracting us from from the real work that's being done in the margins by people who aren't 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 taking that stage. And in a way, if we're seeking status, we're we're tricking ourselves into getting into a position that we might not even have as much influence as we think. And I think that uh, just reevaluating, you know, where we're putting our identity or where we're getting our worth or what type of the reason we're, we're looking for that status would be a really good way to, to check why we're, why we're driven the way we are. What do you, Kevin, what do you, what's your thoughts on the shift and, and what causes the shift um, when someone can get away from maybe that more ego based um telling, um, controlling perspective to a place of, um, you know, as you describe asking, letting people know that, or, or being vulnerable, let's put it that way. Maybe it's being more vulnerable. Um, you know, like how, how are, you, are you seeing that happen out there? Or maybe even what was your experience? Like, how did you move from that, from, you know, make that shift? Yeah. Um, you know, using the word vulnerable, I think is the right one. I think of Brene Brown and the, the works that she's been writing, yeah. helping make vulnerability a little more mainstream, a little more okay. That, that's, that's been my experience too. You know, you start out in the workplace, uh, you know, at least in my experience, um, when I was younger and felt like I had to try to prove my, my place, I was less comfortable being vulnerable. I, I wanted to have that that ironclad armor, uh, so the people couldn't, couldn't see through me. Um, but I found that all that did was it basically acted as like a metal encasing around me. So I felt contained or bottled up. Um, and you know, one of the projects that comes to mind, uh, that sort of revealed to me the futility of that, that sort of pretend ironcladness, um, uh, I was a project manager. It was a super intense project. My wife is pregnant. We had just gotten back from a vacation to Maui. And uh, I had to come into the office right away because the project was going haywire. And then a couple of days later, we had our first midwife appointment. And on the way back from hearing our baby's heartbeat for the first time, um, my wife was jaywalking across the street and got hit by a car. Um, and it was so shocking just to see her get thrown to the ground, 
Um, she ended up being fine, um, but I ended up taking the, the day off work. We had to go to get an ultrasound again to make sure that the baby was okay. The baby was okay, and then I went back to work. And in that moment, sort of catching up with the client, which I had previously been pretty stiff with, um, I told them what had happened and realized that they, on the other end, had had twins a few months ago during the, and they were a new dad um, that had been taking place during the course of this project happening. And here I was with also a new baby on the way and an injured wife. And I realized that we had let none of this actually come into play in the way we're doing our projects. Mm. And there was so much tension on the project leading to so much futility that if we had just been honest with each other about where we are at, what we were going through in our personal lives, it could have diffused or dissolved or created so much more understanding that would have lubricated the project and actually made that go faster. Wow. And it was sort of like this moment of saying, what's the point? Like, why am I hiding the stuff that's actually going to make the relationship and the project more successful if we can just talk about who we are as humans and what we're going through. I love that. What a, an incredible experience. Now, just as a question, did the did that traumatic experience actually make the relationship a lot stronger after the after that that point? You know, it's it's funny. I think on that particular project, it was actually too late. It was right close to launch, and so our our connection with the client was drifting away anyway. Um, so that particular project didn't get to get saved, um, but it definitely laid a foundation for the way I, I chose to interact from the beginning of future projects. Well, you know what, man? You you just gave me shivers just talking about that. I love that concept because my nature is that I am an open book, and my friend in the room here can uh, can uh, probably point that out to me. But I I do have that that uh, I do shut that door because I oftentimes think I'm supposed to. Right. So mm -hmm. uh, if I'm speaking to a client or whatnot, but I all I want to do and all I want to all I desire is to connect on a personal level, on a friend level before doing business. And who who set the rules saying that we shouldn't be doing this? <laughs> you know? And you know what's interesting on that point? Because <clears throat> I, I absolutely believe that you can be a good steward of your business. You can do great. Uh, you can have great clients. You can have great collaborators, partnerships. And you can be very real. And and I know when I was getting into business years ago, I got some, you know, some people very close to me who I truly trust say, geez, Dave, do you got do you got the skin? You know, are you thick enough to get into business? Are you tough enough? All these kind of things. And and it always struck me as odd. I thought, well, why why is that that you have to be tough? Yeah. I mean, can't you just I mean, what what happened to being like you, you know, as Kevin said, being respectful or you know, or, or being mm -hmm. or asking for people's respect. And, you know, and and how many years in I find there's a lot of good people that want to do, you know, and, and you know, bad things happen in business, bad things happen in the world, but a lot of good things happen. And there's a lot of good people. And, and I think by and large, people are, uh, want to do the right thing. And there, I don't, I don't, I honestly don't. And I know you, you know, part of the, our joy of collaborating is, is, um, you know, you come into it with the same spirit and, you know, you can do fun things that way, creative things like a podcast that we started a year and a half ago with just the belief that, well, let's just try this out and let's do this and let's let's be, you know, be awkward and, and it, there's things that are not going to go well and there's things that go very well. But I mean, you know, being vulnerable to to the point of Brene Brown. So, um, but I, it's funny to me that that we that that's that that we're not more of us aren't thinking that way. You know, what, well, any well, thoughts on that, Kevin? It's almost like, Kevin, you, you, you can start a movement based around this, you know, and I know that you did a TEDx, which I, of course, I haven't seen because I think you said it was not up online. But uh, uh, yeah, t t tell us a little bit more on this, because it sounds like a really great theme for you to push. 
Yeah, I think there's there's so much potential here. I mean, right now, I feel like every time I go online and see a news story coming out from the States about the, the presidential race, I just get this almost dopamine rush with the intensity of, of the dialogue that's happening. It's so based in, in triggering all of my fear impulses. Yeah. And uh, I, I just think that a lot of what's going on there is an appeal to the toughness, an appeal to the fear. And in in contrast with actually opening up to dialogue openly about things, um, I have um, I have a sentence that's written on paper on my wall. It's sort of my reminder of of what I'm after. It says resensitize the world. I, I think that a lot of the time we do play that toughness game. We try to numb ourselves to you know other people's perspectives or even to our own needs in order to just kind of grandstand or or appear um, impermeable. And I think that is where the whole world's progress begins to break down. It becomes so dysfunctional because everybody is operating from a position of weakness where they're, they're not in touch with their own strengths. And if we can become sensitive enough to what is driving us, to what our needs are, to what our strengths are, and to what the strengths of others are, then we, we literally become a, a more connected network that is just able to act more efficiently. And if we're in denial of what, what we need or what we're good at and what others need and what others are good at, then we're simply going to be unproductive, bumping up against each other, making the slow way around in, in every endeavor we ever do. So for people that are interested in, in this conversation, you know, the topic and, and want to learn more about some of the work you do and, and, and or maybe watch one of your TEDx talks or, or whatnot, um, what, what are ways people can connect with you or learn more about you, Kevin? Uh, this year, I'm launching a book. It is called Empathy for the Digital Age, and I would love your help to get that launched. I need a few more followers in order to make a go of it. Okay. So anybody who's listening along who would love to join in can go to kevingilbert.com. That's Kevin with an A, kevangilbert.com, and just sign up for the email list, and that'll be how we progress along to launch uh, Empathy for the Digital Age. Nice. And when when's this happening? Um, well, we'll see. We can we can decide. I'm I'm putting the finishing touches on the manuscript, but what I've been learning about the world of publishing versus self-publishing is no matter which way you go, you need a decent audience first. So that's what I'm trying to build right now. So in a way, uh, you guys can decide when we get to launch. Okay. Oh, this is awesome. Us being being the audience, right? Exactly. So we got we got to get this uh, this this interview up uh, soon. Yes, uh, as soon in, as in support. possible. Yeah. Okay, that's good. I, I'm actually typing it in right now so I can subscribe. Awesome. <laughs> um, the multitasking. Okay, Kevin, thank you so much for your time, my friend. And just, we, we, could, we could speak for hours. Um, uh, Dave, when you were out, uh, we were just having a, a connection that uh, Kevin's actually in the Think program right now. Oh, wow. Which is interesting because last week we talked to Sarah. Right. Which is, yeah. Uh, so we, we feel like we, we know a lot of where uh, of the cool things you're going through right now as well through that, that Think program. So uh, very cool. And Kevin, I'm, I'm really hoping we can continue the conversation with you. Uh, and uh, thanks again. And we'll let you know uh, when this podcast comes out. And we're going to push your book. Yeah. Best, awesome. Best of luck with the launch too. Thank you guys so much. It's been great chatting with you. I hope you uh, have a wonderful day. You too. Talk soon. All right. Take care. Okay. See you, Kevin. So Kevin is yeah. What a, what a, what an inch. I mean, um, yeah. Just the whole topic of of empathy and this whole idea of how we, you know, um, and, and the way he describes, you know, kind of the importance of listening and and just and I think he has a really good story there about, you know, having a, a relationship, working on a project with a client, or I, I think yeah. it was a client, and, and then having no sense of each other 
Um, and then, you know, being able to share an experience and realize you have so much in common. And it does make you realize, you know, as we're walking around interacting with people, how little we often know about yeah. the people that we're the, at, seeing at the coffee shop all the time, whatever, because we're so, our life's so important and we got so much going on mm-hmm. that, that we, you know, we, we couldn't possibly, and this is me, by the way, I'm projecting what, my, what I run, you know, how I find myself sometimes, which is frustrating. Um, but you, you really don't know some of the people that you're interacting with on a daily basis and that how crazy is that? Well, the, the other crazy thing is, think about the dollar exchange for anything that we do. Now, yours is a little different because you're in the business of getting to know people very on an intimate level. But let's say you're spending, I don't know, 50 grand on a, on a video. <laughs> okay. That's a fair bit of money to, to give to somebody that you don't know. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. Sure. You, you trust the product, you trust the output, mm-hmm. but why why is that? Why wouldn't you want to develop a deeper relationship and actually work with building that with the, the with your vendor or your your customer uh, together? You know, as as two people that understand each other as humans. I, lo- I love it. Anyway, I, I have to process that one uh, when I drive home. I'm gonna drive home and I'm gonna think. I'm gonna this think is your new this thing. You're gonna think thing. to drive. You can just start driving all the time. I'm gonna drive, yeah. drive, and, and think. Well, Dave, I think this is good. Yet another fantastic guest. Thank you, Kevin, for uh, for sharing all of that. And, and buy it. And, and let's let's uh, sign up for Kevin's ebook, yeah. man. Like this, let, let I would love to support that. Be be that final push to get the launch of the ebook. Wouldn't that be cool? Was it KevinGilbert.com? That was, I believe so. Uh, and that's with an A, K-E-V-A-N. Uh, the other thing that we have to do is we have to thank our friend Christy O'Leary. Uh, who Christy, oh, <laughs> of yeah. course, was one of yes. our guests a long time ago. Yes. And it was Christy who ho- hooked us up with Kevin's interview. Yeah. And also the next two coming up for the next two weeks. So thanks, Christy. Christy, thank you. Yep. You've and been the awesome promoter of, of Willing for We yeah. just so appreciate Hobby, it. Hobby. <laughs> All right. Talk to you guys later. Thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point. Remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale. And to catch up with Greg, visit Hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening and remember, keep that pot boiling. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter.